So, brothers and sisters, one mark of a, of a good teacher is uh, the willingness to see and, and point out weakness and error in the students. This is what we see uh, in the Apostle Paul as this passage opens. Um, a good teacher will want to teach, will insist on teaching. And in order to teach, the teacher must know where the students are um, in their knowledge and, and understanding in order to teach to the need and, uh, and to teach effectively. Sadly, in our day, there is this idea, I'm sure you've uh, been aware of it, that students should never be told they are wrong and that they should never be made to feel weak. But the inevitable outcome of, of that approach has to be a lack of any real learning. On the other hand, another mark of a good teacher is the willingness to commend students for doing well. And the two must certainly go hand in hand, both identifying weakness and, and, and error and commending students when they are correct and, and successful. The word commend is, uh, I think, a, such a good-sounding word. Uh, maybe you've gained a, a commendation uh, at some point in your life. Um, uh, hopefully, we all have had parents who were willing to commend us for doing well. And, and hopefully we as parents are willing to commend our children when they do well. There is, of course, the possibility of a, of a false commendation. Uh, that's what is really happening when students are never told that they are weak or, 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 uh, or, or need learning. But, but otherwise, commendations are important. Uh, might we even say they, they are crucial for learning and growing, for developing skills and abilities throughout life. We need to be told when we are doing well. We hear commendations from the apostles in their writings to the church. Twice in Peter's uh, second letter, we hear him commending the church he, he writes, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. That's a commendation. That's Second Peter 1, verse 12. And again, in Second Peter 3, verse 1, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And the Apostle John, as well, offers a, a commendation to the church. Uh, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Well, in all such cases, the Apostles saw strengths within the church, and they were willing to point them out. And yet, at the same time, they they certainly wanted to teach the church more and to remind the believers of what they already knew. And yes, even at times, to correct believers from their error and strengthen the church out of their weakness. But as for the Apostle Paul, we've done Peter, we, we looked at John, but as for the Apostle Paul, we, we hear a, a certain commendation of the church 
from him in Romans 15 verse 14 in order to make this the first point, the church's commendation. He writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able able to instruct one another. And it really is a, a good word spoken. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a commendation given to the church at Rome that the believers there were full of goodness. And, and, and they were filled with knowledge, even all knowledge, says Paul. And therefore he commends them for being able to even instruct one another. In fact, the commendation from Paul is, is really so, so glowing that it raises the question, well, why, why did Paul even write his letter to the church at Rome? If the believers there were full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and therefore able to teach each other, well, what need was there for Paul and his instruction to them? Well, here's a place to be careful, uh, because we certainly don't want to suggest that Paul is being disingenuous. Uh, It wasn't that he was just flattering them. But here Paul was, it would seem, playing a good round of politics, uh, we, we might put it that way. He, he was being a good diplomat. Uh, he, was, he, was, uh, he was seeking to gain the opportunity to, to minister to them. And, and so in this one statement from Paul, if you think about it, we can hear Paul doing two things. Number one, he was asserting himself as an apostle. Even by making the positive judgment that he did, he was standing over them, he was evaluating them, and he was commending them as one who had the authority to do so. I mean, I mean, what nerve for Paul to say, I myself am, am satisfied about you, my brothers, unless he stood over them in authority. And indeed, Paul had a calling as an apostle and a calling that came directly from Christ himself. As we know, Paul was intent on being true to that calling. And even if people didn't listen to him, he didn't walk away doubting his authority, but neither did he take it for granted that the churches were always going to listen to him and to obey his instruction as an apostle. And so the second thing that we hear Paul doing is he was using his well-meant commendation of the church to make friends with the believers at Rome. Paul had never been to Rome in his ministry. He was not the one who planted the church in Rome. And, And yet, having heard much about the church and the believers there, He discerned that they were indeed full of goodness. Paul could say this on the basis of their reception of the gospel, uh, uh, the message of the apostles, of of whom Paul was only one. Uh, How many other people had Paul seen reject the gospel and even chase him out of town? But the church at Rome was made up of those who had received the gospel as truth, 
And so they were indeed full of goodness. And he discerned that they were filled with all knowledge. Not at all meaning that they had nothing left to learn from him and and from others of the apostles. But they were believers in Christ. and, And faith requires knowledge. So that if they had faith, even faith unto eternal life, then surely Paul could say that they were filled with all knowledge. Take this to heart for yourself, if you will, that that if you are a believer in Christ, and I trust that most, if not all of us, would confess as much, but if you are a believer in Christ, then you have all knowledge. Knowledge even unto salvation, though not without the call from Christ himself to learn even more. Faith requires knowledge. And a growing faith comes by a growing knowledge. And he had discerned that they were able to instruct one another, which had to be the case because the church, as far as we know at Rome, uh, had no leadership just yet. And, and yet they were getting along, they were enduring, they, uh, they were likely even growing as a church. Does that mean that the church doesn't need leadership? no. But it is the call for even the laity, even the congregation, to be well-studied and able to know the difference between truth and false teaching in the life of the church. In the end, here's an example of a good use of authority. By the effects of sin, authority almost always leads to abuse. But here the Apostle Paul not only asserts his authority as an apostle, he also refrains from lording it over those under his authority. Of course, his his predecessor was Jesus himself, who came into this world with authority. Consistently and, and faithfully, Jesus always used his authority for the blessing of those under his authority. It truly is an otherworldly thing for us to see that Jesus always used his authority to be a blessing to those under his authority. It's easy to miss it because we always expect the opposite. We expect the opposite so that when we see the way authority is supposed to be used, we don't recognize it. It slides right by our attention. We figure there, there is no authority there. Well, wh- why? Because it's not being abused, as we almost always see authority being used and abused. But, but with every fiber of his being, let's, let's, let's focus on our Savior, on our Lord, and and recognize that that with every fiber of his being, with every ounce of his authority, Jesus poured himself out as a blessing to others. And as we enjoy even now his forgiveness from sin and his righteousness counted to us, we can, we can be sure of hearing this commendation in the end. The apostles commended the church and and, and we might be commended for our faithfulness somewhere in the present day, but there can be no commendation like that commendation that will come in the end by faith. Well done. Well done, 
good and faithful servant. But then as a second point, the church's correction. And this is where preachers run into trouble, right? Um, Who are you to correct me? How dare you teach me anything? Because as you just told me, I already know all that I need to know. I already have all knowledge. Granted, as has been said, if you have the knowledge unto salvation, then you have all knowledge. You know what you need to know in order to believe what you need to believe in order to have faith unto salvation. But then what in the world is Paul doing in this entire letter? He has just written for us, in our English Bibles at least, 11 chapters of instruction. First to teach us what sin is, then to teach us how we are saved, and third to teach us what comes next. Why do you need salvation? Because you are a sinner. You were born a sinner. You cannot recover on your own, but you remain always apart from Christ under the judgment of God. So what is salvation? It is the work of God in Christ to bring a sinner into a right and safe relationship to the very same God who would otherwise condemn, judge, and dismiss you to hell for your sin. So now what? It almost sounds rather trite, doesn't it? Now what? Well, give thanks. With joy and thanksgiving, serve the Christ who has, who has saved you. This isn't rocket science, folks. If we are really hearing the message of God's word, then Christ will be our first thought every morning and our last thought every night. Throughout the day, morning, afternoon, and evening, we will be those who are even looking for correction. Are we looking for correction from our Lord? It's an attitude that is expressed by the psalmist at the end of Psalm 139, search me, O God, search me and and know my heart, try me and, and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How often do you pray that prayer? And in Psalm 26, even as David claims his integrity, yet he asks to be proven, to be put on trial to be examined. He writes, Vindicate me, O God, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. But then he writes, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Maybe I'm wrong. I think I'm doing the right thing here and I'm suffering for it. Prove me, O God. Test me. It's one thing. It's one thing to confess our sins. It's a further thing to ask of God that he reveal to us what we don't know of our sin. Prove me, O God. Try me. Test my heart and mind. For your steadfast love is is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. And notice why, as as we said earlier in the service, why, why is David willing to be put on trial? Why are we willing to read the law of God? Why would anyone want to be examined and evaluated? And it isn't because David knows that nothing further will be found out. You know that's true about yourself as well, right? It's only because he knows the steadfast 
love of God. The faith of David needs to be our faith. That we say, test me, try me, show me my sin. And we can do that because we know, we know that God is steadfast in his love toward us in Jesus Christ. So here is the key thing for being teachable before God. We must be sure of this. We must be sure of this, that where whatever sin is found in us, and there is much sin to be found in us, whatever sin is found in us, we have already been forgiven of it. And from joy and, and with thanksgiving to God, we can be ready to say, show me the sin that you have already forgiven me. Though I have yet to confess it. But it's pride. It's, it's a residual evil pride that makes us want to say, I don't want to know. I, I don't care what sin remains in me. But by the assurance of faith and, and by love for Christ, we can, we can and, and we should seek to be found out. We, we think we don't want to be found out. We, we should want to be found out in order that we might confess more and, 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 and more and more the full debt that Christ has already paid for us. We don't have to hide it. It's already been paid for. Some would say, well, if I'm already forgiven, why do I still need to make daily confession of my sin? Well, because by confessing our sin, we are impressed. Indeed, we impress ourselves, in a sense, with the grace of God in our lives. But by confessing our sins, we come to know all the more how much we need Christ and how glorious it is that we have Christ. What does Christ mean to you? A little or a lot? He ought to mean not just a lot. He ought to be everything to you. As God's word says, Christ truly is of surpassing worth to us. Philippians chapter 3. If we are given eyes to see it and to know our sin, and, and if we are given to see uh, the, the glorious blessing of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, as Paul writes, and having a righteousness that comes from him. So Paul writes now in verse 15, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of rem reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Once again, Paul is being diplomatic. He, he's showing uh, what we call tact. He's being tactful. To see this, all we have to do is to recall how much he has already taught to this point in his letter to the church at Rome, and now basically he says, well, I, I, I haven't really taught you anything new. I, I, I know you already knew all the things that, that, that I've taught to you. Really? And so was Paul being disingenuous? Was he flattering the, the believers at Rome? Surely he knew that some, even many, 
of the believers there would, 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 would grow by leaps and bounds by way of his teaching. And yet he commends them, he assures them. And, and, and preachers today will, will do well to do the same. The, the point is not to uh, get uh, uh, people saved, uh, get saved people saved again each Lord's Day. Uh, you already have the knowledge you need. If you didn't, you would not be a believer in Christ, but we all need to be reminded. Are you willing to be reminded? As Peter writes, what we already know needs to be stirred up within us. You need to think according to what you believe. We need to, we need to wake up thinking Christ in the morning. Paul says elsewhere that we, that we have the mind of Christ, but we also have the mind of the flesh, do we not? And the question is, which mind, we're double-minded, which mind is going to win out in any given day? It's a curious thing about the human mind that, that you can know something. Think about this. You can know something. It, it resides in your brain, but it, it, it doesn't come into, into play. Have you ever had that experience? Like, I would never have thought of that. I w- would never have remembered that if you had not said such and such. So it's there. It's, it's in your memory. You're just not conscious of it. You're not thinking it. It doesn't come into play on how you're thinking and, 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 and doesn't come into play to what you're doing, how you are behaving in your life. And, and, and so when children are corrected, to come up with another illustration here, they aren't taught new things. They are reminded of what they already know. They, ha- they have heard the instruction of their parents. They know the rules, but what they know needs to be stirred up needs to be brought to their consciousness. They need to be reminded of what they already know so that that what they know will affect what they do. We truly are children of God. It's not just a metaphor. We, no less than our children, need to be corrected and to be corrected by being reminded of what we already know. So let us be teachable. Let us not chafe at being told the same things over and over. We need the repetition. We need the reminder. We need the truth of God's word to be set before us. Some of it we already know. I'm, I'm, I can commend you as a congregation. It's a very knowledgeable congregation here in, at Terre Haute RPC. But we need, we need to be reminded of what we already know. And there is much that we have to know as we remain teachable under the preaching of God's word. Finally, then, the church's increase. Towards the end of his letter, Paul confesses a certain purpose that he has. He's been pretty silent about it to this point. He certainly loves the believers at Rome, and he wants to be a blessing to them by his teaching. He wants to teach them their sin and the salvation that God provides in Christ. And he wants to instruct them in how they are to live their lives in response. He loves them. He wants to be a blessing to them, but he also wants to use them as an outpost. 
This will be the point of transition uh, to next week, the Lord willing, but even this week we, we start to see a certain purpose. Paul wants to build up the church at Rome because Rome is now the furthest point at this stage in the spread of the gospel. And we ought to note Paul's humility. This is not about him, but about Christ. He writes, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. But then here's his purpose. His his purpose, even in writing to the church at Rome, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Paul knew that Christ was building his church. And his delight, Paul's delight, was to be a part of that project. Think of what Paul didn't know. He he didn't know how long before Christ came again. He didn't know which of the believers at Rome were true believers and which were just there for show. He didn't know whether he himself would ever get to Rome to visit the believers there. But he knew this, that Christ was building his church And he was delighted to be a part of that project. And he saw Rome as an outpost to the rest of the world. The question of application is is whether we know the same, whether we have the same purpose in mind. Why do you get up every morning? Even more Is it a primary or some secondary purpose in our lives to live for Christ? If all we're doing is working to be comfortable now and working towards retirement in the future, the question has to be asked, where does the kingdom of God and and where does the the gospel of Christ fit within that view of our lives? Instead, let us go to work each day. Let us be developing relationships Uh, with our neighbors. Let us be raising our children with a view to the coming of the kingdom of Christ. On one hand, the kingdom is here. And that's our great comfort that Christ has come. He has been born. We, We don't need necessarily another Christmas season to know and remember in every day uh, that Christ has been born. Even more, Christ has lived. He has lived our life. He has suffered a death and and has has suffered a judgment that was due to us. He has delivered us from the wrath to come. He has risen again from the dead the first day of the week. And he is the first of many who by his resurrection who also have been raised and who will be raised from the dead in the end in the body. This must be our life focus. This must be our Life focus. This, be, this must be our worldview. This must be our way of understanding reality. Because God's word is, is not just the historical account of Christ's ministry and resurrection, but God's word gives us the example of Paul's faith, making all of this everything, everything to us as we would live for Christ. Was Paul using the church at Rome? Yeah. 
that's usually not a very positive idea to use another person or a group of people for your own purposes. But, but yes, Paul was intending to use the church at Rome, and we'll talk again further about this next time, but Paul intended to use the church at Rome to go further. And indeed, it is an example to us. Why will you go to work tomorrow morning? Just to make some money and to build your retirement portfolio? Why are you here this morning? Just to see and be seen within the church? Why are you a believer in Christ, a a disciple of Christ? Just for your salvation? That's not a bad reason. The Apostle Paul would, would have none of that way of thinking and that perspective on the life of the believer. Instead, we must see the advance, the advance of the coming of the kingdom. And our comfort is that it is coming. Nothing is going to stop it. Do we understand this? I, said Christ, will build my church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So are we in or are we out? If we are out, then what are we doing here this morning? But if we are in, then let us be in. And let us pray and work and live and dedicate all for the coming of a kingdom that will not be stopped. A kingdom that has already come and that will finish its coming when Christ comes again. Paul writes, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And may this be our ambition, that whether we are building on someone else's work or whether we're going it alone, that we bring Christ to the world for the increase of the church And it's going to increase. Just understand that it's going to increase. The amazing thing is that the world still thinks to limit the church, to beat down the church, to keep the church from growing and the kingdom from coming. But the church and the kingdom of Christ is coming. It is coming. It is coming. It will not be stopped because it has already come. The deed is done. The victory won. The cross of Christ stands in history. So either get on board or get run over. It's your choice. So let us make the choice. Let us decide this morning. Let us be determined throughout this week and throughout our full lives to be, to live, to do all that we can for the increase of the church and for the inevitable coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. What great hope and comfort and joy and peace do we have, Lord Jesus, in knowing that you will build your church and that your kingdom is coming, that it has come and is now here and that it will come throughout the world until that great last day. Help us to get on board and not to be run over by what is happening in this world. 
give us this perspective of our lives in this world so that we can see each and every day the coming of your kingdom. We ask and pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.